Jeff, you are back this week, and we're going to be upfront with all of our listeners. Literally nothing related to BYU sports besides the death of the basketball program. Well, they're winning by three right now. Made a nice little comeback. I mean, to be fair, they're winning by three in a dogfight with LMU, and Mowgli is taking it to BYU. Yeah, This, this guy who looks like he's hanging out with Baloo the Bear is killing everybody on BYU's roster. Yeah, and yeah, we got Gideon George banding up with him down in the paint. It's just a weird, like trying to get all these rotations. It's it's a struggle. But no, anyway, nothing has happened BYU related. We are scouring for content. The only BYU content we have right now is that Hemahemuli is getting ready to start selling the Turbo Tongan 2.0 poster, and they're sending all the money to organizations, family, whatever in Tonga affected by the tsunami over there. So that is the BYU news there is outside of the basketball team. So it is currently 10.33 p.m. Mountain time. Uh, I'm the only one awake in my house. You're the only one at your house. This agenda, this is going to be our probably least sports-focused episode that we have ever done. If you turn it off, we will not be offended because some of you said you want sports instead of lesbian M&Ms. That's fine. That is your prerogative. But if you buckle up and sit your ass down for this wild ride, we have no idea what is going to be said. It is going to be uncut and unfiltered. This might be four hours long, like a Joe Rogan podcast. I don't don't listen. I think his thing is like five hours long every day. I don't know how people listen to that. Is that real? I think it's like three or four hours every episode. I don't know. Joe, what does he call it? The Joe Rogan experience. Yeah. But it's something that long. I also did read a thing that he, you know, because they were talking about like Spotify and his, he's like only on Spotify or whatever. But I found out that he has 11 million. He has his daily show and he has 11 million episode listeners a day. Like he gets oh more people gosh. listening to his podcast than like Fox and CNN and MSNBC get listening to their primetime shows. This is ridiculous. Three and a half hours, four hours. Like it With, depends on the guest. It's like he just brings them in. And just talks until they are out of things to talk about. Because some only go like an hour and 45 minutes. Others are going four and a half hours. And he gets a, like 11, 12 million people a day watching that. You know, that. that's why all of this like cancel culture is coming after Joe Rogan. They don't care about his actual politics. It's because primetime CNN and primetime Fox news are combining for like 2.3 million viewers. Yeah. And and he's just a washed up comedian. Yeah, Like he's the guy from fear factor who like outdraws them by 500%. Of course they're trying to get rid of him. Yeah. And he doesn't even, I mean, he has like everybody on, like he has had, like he had Bernie Sanders on his show and he's just like, he's just kind of like a big dumb, like, Oh, like he just sits there and is like, okay, yeah. Tell me more about that. Like he just nods his head and agrees <laughs> with literally anything anybody says to him. It just is like, okay, it's- I sit here and nod my head. You tell me things. I say, okay, and keep the conversation going. And then I make money. And I do think he's dumb. Like, well, I don't think he's dumb. Like he's clearly making things work, right? Like, and he's uncancelable, which I think it takes some, some intelligence to do that. But like he's a jock, like he's yeah. just a big high a school head. jock. Yeah, that's what he is, and oh, it blows my mind. 
11 it blows my mind. The Joe people. It's called the Joe Rogan experience, but really just the Joe Rogan experience is fascinating. To me. <laughs> like who was he? And, and uh, this is a sincere question before fear factor. Who was he? I think he was the, like he did stand up. I know he did stand up at one point, um, but like, how did he land the fear factor job? He started, or was he the creator of the show? Okay. He started doing stand up in, in that he started in 1990 is when he moved to New York city and started doing stand up full time. And then he's in 1994, he moved to LA and started like getting a couple deals and doing stuff there and had a couple spots with some other stuff and then in 1997 is when he started commenting for ufc and like he's been the he's his first ufc thing was ufc 12 that's wild in 1997 that's wild um and then he's like was doing just like radio stuff in la and then like oh we'll slap you on fear factor that's nuts what a rise Ooh, Foose down low with Mowgli. It's a battle. Mowgli just won that round. Mowgli won that round. That is like that is actually a thing where I, that could that gives me some '90s NBA vibes right there. Like I could, I want to see them just I, play. I'm, I'm trying to remember play the hard show. With no and no WCC refs that are too ticky tack. Who's the? It's the guy. I can see it. He's got the black, black curly haired mullet. It's from a movie. Like he's like a movie guy. He's got, I think, a mustache. He's in a blue button-down shirt. It's from some movie. And as soon as I say it or show you a picture, you're going to know what I'm talking about. It's like it's rattling around in my head who this guy is. But I can't remember who he is. Maybe because it's late? Um, I don't know. It's been a long week for me, man. It's been a really long week for me. I just, I, I'm just tired. And normally I could come up with these references. It's not happening. It's um, going to be there's a I, picture of Lionel Richie with a no, mullet. No, it's, it's a uh, whatever. It'll come to you, but it has to, where did we start this? We have no idea where the show's going, but you do have our first thing. This headline well, that you found our normal wild intro. It, it, it just this, feels on brand. Yes. This one is very on brand. This giant cast iron skillet can theoretically fry 650 eggs at once. So Lodge, the cast iron company um, from Pittsburgh, Tennessee. So funny story about Lodge. Uh, My sister-in-law lives in Pittsburgh. One year we went there for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I had always heard people say like, they're seeing like that Lodge was in Pitts. It was like their Pittsburgh thing. I never noticed that there was no H on the end. And so I thought it was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And then I looked up, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I just have to sit in my sister-in-law's house because the most <laughs> exciting thing to do in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania was obviously going to be going to a cast iron factory. <laughs> I mean, but it seems like it's on brand. This thing is huge. It I'm is... trying to figure out this stupid mullet thing, man. I, I'm, I'm distracted. <laughs> uh, so I just Googled the best mullets in Hollywood. And number one is uh, Meryl Streep. Ew. <laughs> I mean, it feels right, though. I can't remember what is who it is. Uh, so this, uh, let's see. This skillet is fully functional. I'm not, how do you have a non-functional skillet? Is five... 
almost five and a half meters long from handle to handle, 3.65 meters in diameter, and it weighs 6,500 kilograms. What? Oh, you found this article on CBC. That's why this is all in metric. These damn yes. Canadians. Yeah, correct. Um, Ken, Kenny Powers, that's who it is. So it weighs 14,330 pounds. Uh, oh, yeah. That Kenny guy. Powers. Uh, okay. We all know who Kenny Powers yes, I know is, Kenny right? Powers is, yeah. That. That, that is, is what I think of when I'm watching this Mowgli guy for LMU play. I am thinking of Kenny Powers. I had the, I actually, I thought of somebody else, but now I can't think of who it is. But so this cast iron scale, how did you find this article? Uh, it was on Reddit. And it just uh, feels like typical. something that, you know, here we are. It's Super Bowl week. We're all going to cook, right? Like it's yeah. a big part of Super Bowl week. Cooking something like this uh, on something like this feels like it was something that we would do. Just yeah. a big thing. The pictures of this thing are remarkable. One, they have a picture of loading it onto a truck with a forklift. And not like a forklift that you're going to drive up and down the aisles at your local Costco. This is like a big forklift, like a forklift at shipyards that's like picking up train containers. It's huge. And that's what this cast iron pan is on. And then they got another picture of it on, on a flatbed, like getting pulled by a big giant truck, like down the freeway. It reminds me of the potato from the Idaho potato bowl. Like that potato that they put on that big truck. That's oh, like yeah. 8 million pounds. That's the potato that this cast iron pan was meant to cook because they're like the same size. And maybe it's the same truck that had to bring them in. It, it's gigantic. I, it's almost, I want to see it in person because it's so big that it almost looks like it's Photoshopped because mm -hmm. you just don't expect to see a skillet that big. I, I want to know, they say fully functioning and this is Lodge. Like this is like the pinnacle of cast iron, right? I mean, do we agree with that? That Lodge- the modern I mean, pinnacle. Uh, like yeah. if, if you're buying cast iron today, you're buying lodge, but uh, yes. like, uh, like you find yourself some like OG Griswold that was made in 1907. That's totally like fair. the pinnacle. Yeah, that's fair. But today lodge is probably the Nike of cast iron. Yes. They say it's fully functional. Like they say that you can use it. They're not just like giving you a crappy pan, like that they season their stuff. Like they try to make it as, non-stick as they possibly can ahead of you ever having to use it so is this a seasoned 300 what did you say 3300 pound no 14,330 pounds oh shit okay <laughs> so i was way off so is this a seasoned 14,000 pound i think pound? so i mean you look at that picture there's a shimmer there's some there. glisten right yeah they like I think it probably took three or four pigs worth of bacon grease to yeah, at least get it greased up. But oh, at come least. on, Barcelo, make a free throw. Yeah, this is uh, this, this has got gonna, bad tragic ending. Uh, there's there's serious it. bad juju going on right now. Uh, BYU is up one. For those of you who went to bed because it's basketball and you don't really care, 17 seconds left. Barcelo just hit the second of two free throws. Uh, if I knew their names, I could get my Greg Rebell on, but LMU. Bringing the ball down the court, 12 seconds left, down to guy with the man bun, takes it to the hoop, stops, throws it out to some other guy that I don't know his name. He 
Oh, man. And it's then he tied puts it in. 2.7 Little bank seconds. shot off the block. Here comes Barcelo. No timeout. Half court. Oh, <laughs> it in and out. Oh, man. That would have been the shot to break the schneid. Uh, Garrett, we didn't get a talk about signing day. No, we didn't. It, like, we wrote a lot. You wrote. Uh, I mean, do we dare call it a hit piece? I'm okay calling it a hit piece, and it, yeah, that shot was close. That was so close. Also, just make one free throw, and then you're fine. Or yeah, yeah, I mean, you could have, if they really cared about the data and what the numbers say, it probably would have fouled them, even though you're up two yeah. to make them shoot and then get the ball back and then trust yourself to make a shot. But yeah, that was our most. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard because we run a newsletter, so obviously we send stuff people get it in your inbox we can see how many of those emails are opened but then that doesn't always translate to viewing it on the website that was our most viewed thing i think it i saw there was a bunch of when i logged into google analytics i think it said there's a bunch of traffic from cougar boards i'm assuming someone shared it there so people shared it on facebook like it was making the rounds and, and it's, got... it's pure organic like it, it, that's what's kind of cool about it when yeah <laughs> when traffic comes I, I feel guilty sometimes pushing our articles on my Twitter because it is a newsletter, right? Like our, our whole, our, our business model is not web traffic. So I don't really share it very often. You don't share it very often. No. Most of the time it's maybe a tweet and maybe the other one of us, whoever tweets it, the other one will retweet it, but that's about it. And so 2000 page views or whatever it was at, like, that's not a crazy huge number. And especially in the terms of the internet, like that's very small potatoes, but for no real growth, like, or no real, I guess, marketing push. That's a pretty impressive piece of literature. We'll yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, the first one that I don't know how many retweets got it sparked some serious conversations of people who are like, well, you just can't expect us to get a top 10 class every year. Uh, I yeah. never said that. Like well, that's what had... that's my pet peeve about the internet is like one when people will compare it's like you take your best or the absolute best perfect state of something and compare it to something else's absolute worst and say like oh yeah see these are apples and apples comparison like mm -hmm. that's annoying and two when it's like well I said this so you must mean the exact opposite like it's like oh well I said we need to do better at recruiting well you can't expect us to get a top ten class every year I never uh, said no. that. Right. That's like, that's like, oh, I want to win more games than we did in 2017 and 2018. Well, you can't expect us to go to the CFP every year. Like, you uh, see how ridiculous that sounds? It's stupid. And I don't know if you did this on purpose or not, but that's a wonderful segue into an article that I published on signing day Eve last week that I talked about it. So two weeks ago, it's been a long time since we've done this show together. Two weeks ago, I talked about it on, on when I did a solo show that people will tune in on signing day and all of a sudden like have all the hot recruiting takes and then signing days over and they go back to not paying even sort of attention to recruiting for the next year. So what I wrote on signing day is five common fallacies that are shared by fans. And I will say, I think specifically BYU fans, these probably apply to everybody. They probably apply to everybody. They certainly apply to a lot, but they most definitely apply to BYU fans. Like there's like a, a trickle down that like, okay. I, this is BYU. 
five common fallacies. Number one, the head coach, okay, Kalani, I wrote this generically speaking, right? The head coach has a keen eye for under the radar talent. That is something that is said all the time. Well, Kalani is so good at finding under the radar talent. That's true. Like he is, that's great. However, Kalani's not the guy who is signing these players. He's not. The best real world example of how this works and people, it's not a business. As much as you want to say, well, Kalani's the CEO, it all rolls up to him. Fine, the responsibility all rolls up to him. But college football is not like running your local meatpacking plant. It's different. Okay. Kalani Sataki hires coordinators to bring their schemes in and run what they run. That means that he can't opine on every little thing, nor should he. Okay. The best real world example is that, that Kalani was totally content no matter how much he liked Zach Wilson, right? To the point that he was willing to offer Zach a scholarship as a safety, knowing damn well that Zach was never going to come and play safety because he wanted him on the team. And he did not want to step on his coach's toes. But he was, I hired you for this job. I trust you to do this job. I am letting you fail. I am going down with you. Uh, Well, and if you fail, then you were firing you and your system, right? But like, it's not Kalani's offense. It's not even Kalani's defense. It's just not, guys. It's not. The coordinators run their scheme. When Kalani fired Ty Detmer, he didn't go and hire Jeff Grimes and say, but you have to run what Ty was running. No, it was bring in your own scheme. Let me know how I can help. Right. But that's that's the role of a head coach. And so, when he when he says he wants to be the Polynesian Lavelle, that doesn't mean just be a lifer at BYU. That means he's going to be the ultimate delegator. Orchestrate and run the way Lavelle did. Yep, absolutely. This is one of the most common misconceptions about recruiting is that it's Kalani signing off on every offer. It isn't. It isn't. Maybe it should be. Like, that's an argument for another day. But it's not. It is Kalani allowing his coordinators to run the show. Now, does he come in and throw oh, out a drop card? He, 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 that was a good blog. Does he come out and throw out a trump card every once in a while and say, hey, I need you to go get this guy? Yeah, of course he does. But he doesn't do it for every player. And he lets his coordinators run, go and get the guys that they feel will most effectively run their scheme. So the idea that all of these players, because Kalani had success with under the radar players in his career, that we should give him this huge, massive leeway benefit of the doubt when he signs an under the radar player. Now it's, it's, it's a horseshit fallacy because the guys that are being signed is under the radar guys right now aren't, aren't being Kalani. Now that's not to say does Ed lamb deserve leeway. That's up to you to decide, right? Does Preston Hadley deserve, but up to, up to you guys to decide, But don't make this misconception, this mistake of saying Kalani is like reviewing all the film and he is the ultimate decision maker of yes or no, we're going to go get this kid. That's not the way that this works. Nope. Just not. So that's fallacy number one. Uh, Fallacy number two. Well, player X turned down that offer. So obviously we won the head to head battle. What I mean by this, and, and this is something that 
you, you see it every year. You know, BYU fans want to know how often they beat Utah on the recruiting trail. So they're going to go out, and BYU is going to sign a guy who uh, – I'm trying to think of a, a good example, but, like, let's pick a – I can think of one that's not Utah, but is a good example of what you're about to say, Keanu Saleapanga in USC. Yeah, perfect. Keanu Saleapanga, uh, and that's even maybe more drastic because he was he was cut loose, right, by, by USC. Right. Did BYU beat USC in that recruiting battle? No. USC was not recruiting Keanu Saliapaga. So even though they had he had an offer and even though committed when it, to them at yeah, one point. And even when you're going to pull up his 24/7 page you'll be like, "Wow, what a great recruiting job by BYU. They beat USC." They did they did not beat USC for Keanu Saliapaga. And that happens every year. The the idea that these recruiting battles are are all equal and that every offer is recruiting with the same, that every school who extends an offer is recruiting with the same level of intensity as everybody else is just false. It's one of the, it, it, it's one of the things that at me, who I think is, is educated in how recruiting works, right? When I hear, oh yeah, like look at how many P5 schools they beat. That's one of the things that I immediately just tune out that it's like, oh, I'm not having a conversation with somebody who knows recruiting. So I move on. Uh, that's a fallacy. Number three, and I'm going to leave this to you to talk about because you you did it really well. Stars don't really matter. Like this oh was the gosh. premise. This was the premise of your your Preston Hadley article, right? This is yes. Yeah, so this goes back and people will say this and there are a few every year. And like this, you can count like, oh, there were only X number of five stars in the Pro Bowl, but there were like twice as many, whatever, three stars. Okay, that's fine. This just goes back to basic, like basic statistics and understanding of ratios. Of course, there's going to be fewer five stars because there's only 32 a year. Because being named a five star means that you they believe you have the potential to be a first round draft pick. Okay. Oh, second no. night to the free throw line has to hit one for the win. Um, oh, that guy's fired up. Who's the coach of LMU? He's pissed right now. I don't know. Sorry, I cut you um, off. Like so, there is, it is Stan Johnson. Well, he is hot and bothered. Right he was now. an assistant at Marquette and was an assistant at ASU also was an assistant at Utah from 2008 to 2011. So screw ah. that guy. Yeah. Um, so it, of course being a five-star, I mean, there's only 32 of them, like in any given year, the total number of five stars and four stars is like 400. So yeah, like 60% of five-star players get drafted. And only like 6% of five of three-star players because there's so many more three-stars. Like it isn't a very elite thing to be named a five-star. So don't mm -hmm. say the stars don't matter because the vast majority of players that are FBS starters are three-stars. So yeah, within that, there's a lot of splitting hairs. But if you can get a five-star, you better damn go get yourself a five-star or you don't screw around and not talk to Tausilia Connor or Hunter Clegg because you think you got someone else who's the same size as them. So you're good. Like, hey, we got someone who's 6'5", 240. Doesn't matter. Ever, everyone who's 6'5 and 240, that's, you know, that's fine. And Some, somebody said it on Twitter, and I love the way that they put it, that view stars like probability predictions. Yeah. Okay? Like, is a five-star 100% guaranteed to succeed? Of course not. 
But, but even then, usually when there's a five-star doesn't succeed, there's either off-field like legal problems because they're just a dumb jock who like they thought they could run the world because they were right. so good at be- playing football or they have injury issues and just their right. career, they never get to play. Like they, most, they can never start. Most do really well. Yeah. But so let's say 80%. I mean, I have no idea. There's no way to really quantify this, but let's say 80%. If you're a five-star, you are 80% likely to succeed. If you're a four-star, you're 65% likely to succeed. If you're a three-star, probably drops down to like closer to 40. If you're a two-star, could you still succeed? Yeah, but there's like a 10% chance. So like everybody likes to take the fringe exception as why stars don't matter. Well, Cody Hoffman was great, so clearly stars don't matter. Well, if you look at... Right. And if you look at stars as that probability, it's like, okay, well, no. Cody Hoffman was one of the 10%, but look at the other 90%, right? right? I didn't like to single out guys, but some jabroni on Twitter was like, Kyrus Tonga was a two-star, so it was fine. Okay, well, how many Kyrus Tongas have there been for the number of Jeterius goalies that were in the program? Because right. there were a shitload of Jeterius, Jeterius goalies that came in, flopped, either transferred out, or they sucked up the scholarship for four years. Right. There's only and, been one Kairos Tonga who was a DT that got drafted. And so what you actually need to look at in Bud Elliott, who is fantastic. He's a, he, he's a big Florida state guy, but he covers nationally for 24 seven. And he is the uh, he, he's one of the co-hosts on the cover three podcast for CBS sports. He went out that 23 of 44 starters. So like 52 of percent of Super Bowl starters coming up this Sunday were either four or five star players, but nationally every year, only 8% of high school players are four or five star players. So that's not when you're seeing stars don't matter. Oh, there's more three stars. Okay. But 8% of the players are contributing 50 over 50% of the Super Bowl starters. Like that is when you're talking about, you know, how is it that this pandemic has been going on for two years and people <laughs> still cannot understand basic fractions and ratios? It's and just simple stuff. I, it, somebody else said, I think it was Mike Renner who, who writes for PFF. I think that's who it was. Maybe it was, I can't remember. Uh, Tony Romo was a really great NFL quarterback as an undrafted free agent, right? Nobody says, well, Tony Romo is proof that draft picks don't matter. That, but, yes. But for some reason, we do that with recruiting. Yes, I did. I was very, yesterday in my on our Wednesday edition, I did really like my comparison to beef and the rankings <laughs> yes. of yes. If five-star is Wagyu, four-star is prime, three-star is choice. You can have some really good choice that can punch – well above its class and hang right there with any prime stake you throw down and two stars select, you literally have no idea what you're going to get. Yep. Sometimes it's great. I will go to my grave saying that the best steak, and this is going to blow your mind because I've eaten a lot of really good steak. The best steak I've ever eaten was a cut. The second best steak I've ever eaten, I think came from Longhorn Steakhouse. Just a chain, like one step above Outback. And I've gone back to Longhorn to try to get that same steak again, and they have not been able to replicate it. But for one day, Longhorn Steakhouse was among the elites. So would you like a quality steak from, would you try your luck at the best steak of your life, or do you think you're going to go to a Ruth's Chris 
Right. Yep. Or do you think you're going to go to Texas Roadhouse? Exactly. Uh, fallacy number four. It's kind of the same as fallacy number two, but the inverse. The coaches pushed hard for everybody that they offered. That just no. does not happen. Okay. It, it, for a lot of reasons. An offer in a lot of circumstances now, like when you're talking about guys who already have, you know, 10, 12 offers, you got to have an offer as like a qualifier. Like they won't even pick up the phone unless they have a scholarship offer from you. Like offers aren't what they used to be. It's just what it's the name of the game today. And, and but also, some people think like that's handing them out like candy, but the flip side of that is you do the same thing too, right? Like if you are looking for a new job, you know, recruiters, they ask you, so how many other companies are you talking to? What's your timeline of when are you trying to make a decision? You're like, well, I'm in a couple different stages with a few different companies, whatever. And they're like, okay, so we know we need to move fast. Like you do the same thing, right? They're yeah, saying, okay, we got to pick up the pace on our due diligence because we know you're in demand. It's exactly the same. I mean, that, that's exactly what it is. But also there's a lot of the reasons that a school doesn't push for somebody. One, they may have one spot for a defensive end. They go and they have five guys who are rated similarly on their board. They take a commitment from one of them they're not talking to the other four. They maybe talk to one just in case something happens with the one that decommitted. But for the most part, they're cutting those guys loose. So they're just not talking to them. Um, another thing that happens, and this is the, the ugly part that nobody wants to talk about, sometimes coaches suck at recruiting. Sometimes coaches are lazy. Sometimes coaches extend an offer and they never talk to that recruit again. There are some recruits in this class, this very recruiting class, that when they were extended an offer by BYU, the offer was really extended through a middleman, through their, we'll call it their coach, because I think he's technically the offensive coordinator at their school, but he's, he coaches their seven-on-seven seven team. BYU coach talked to that guy. That guy said, oh, hey, guys, I talked to coach so-and-so. You guys all have scholarship offers. To the best of my knowledge, and I've talked to these kids, I've talked to that seven-on-seven coach, I talked to just about everybody. I I said this kind of in joking, and people think I'm joking, but I'm 100% serious. I talk to more BYU recruits than the BYU coaching staff does, without question. Because you're also allowed to. You you don't have any time when you're not allowed to. Exactly. Restrictions on it. 100%. I've talked to these kids. They have still never talked to that coach ever. Not once. Some of that is restrictions. Some of that is just, well, that they didn't commit on the spot. So that coach isn't going to waste their time. And that's what's happening. I heard an example and I I almost use this in jest, but I heard an example And, and this can apply. Use your imaginations, apply it to whomever you want, whatever BYU coach you want. It can apply to any number of coach. It can apply to coaches that are on the staff today. It can apply to coaches that are are on other staffs or have been on previous BYU staffs. Let's think of our missions. Your mission's a little different because you went to to Ukraine where nobody was baptized ever. No, that's correct. So go to a, a mission that actually baptizes people. So anybody, you know, in South America, Africa, Philippines, Philippines, literally anywhere in the world that's not Europe. Right. Okay. And envision with me your tracting. 
we'll take my mission. I'll use my experience. Tracking for me was a pain in the butt, not because you had to knock a lot of doors, but because if I picked like a path that had 20 houses, I would get in to 19 of those 20. And I had to like filter through which people were actually serious about it and which were not. Like that was our tracking, right? So imagine you're tracking. What is the dream? The dream is you find that, like every missionary says it, right? The golden family. That's what everybody wants. The golden investigator that, that like you're just feeling it when you're talking to them. You extend a baptism commitment on the first day. They say yes. And then they show up on baptism day. They have no issues with any of the commandments. They just believe and do everything they're supposed to do. They get baptized and then they go on to be great. That's the, the ideal scenario that very, very, very rarely happens, right? So let's put this into recruiting perspective. There are kids that dream to play at BYU. So the minute they get an offer from BYU, they commit, they shut everything else down. You don't ever have to talk to them again. As long as they have their spot at BYU, that's all that they want. There are coaches that that's what they're looking for. They want the golden recruit. Now, we know how often that happens. Rarely, right? Like rarely did you find that golden investigator. Most of the time, if you did get in and you found somebody who was interested, maybe you extended a baptism commitment and they were like, eh, I don't know about that. That feels really fast. So what do you have to do? You have to keep teaching them. You have to keep showing up. You have to keep doing the things so that they, they get it. They feel comfortable. They whatever. That's the same as recruiting. Maybe a kid doesn't want to commit on day one, right? And so you have to continue to recruit and recruit and recruit. Some coaches don't. Some coaches don't want to do that. They don't want to put that effort in. It's just the facts of the matter. Like they just don't want to do it. So what happens to those investigators on the mission field? They end up, if you don't keep going back, they stop coming and it just kind of fizzles away. Now, there are also some investigators that maybe they commit to that baptism, but if you don't show up and keep doing the things, then they just, they fizzle away, right? Like that happens. Right. There are BYU coaches that also do that and have been BYU coaches. There will be BYU coaches in the future. And there are BYU coaches now that once they get that commitment, it's like, hey, my job is done. I'll see you with the font. You got to like follow up. You got to still show love. You still got to talk. Otherwise, those kids are going to be like, wait a minute. I committed six months ago, but I haven't heard from you. So I'm going to walk away. There are coaches that just recruiting sucks and there have kids there are kids that have said that to be to this staff and so like, uh, are you sure you want me and it's been real dicey if they were going to actually sign yeah 100 percent. there have been kids like jaron Kump who ended up signing at utah because he was committed to byu but didn't feel the love it happens it happens all the time so this idea that the coaches pushed hard for everybody that they offered is false it just is false. So when people like me and you, when we complain on signing day that says, man, BYU needs to recruit better. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll go to 24 seven sports. They'll look at who BYU was offered and they'll say, well, they offered so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and they just didn't want to come to BYU. But what do you want? That's like, well, I went and tracked it at all of these doors. They just didn't commit. They didn't want to get baptized. What more do you want from me? Mission president. I want you to follow up with them. I want you to teach them. I want you to talk to them, right? I want you to show them what they need to do in order to 
be baptized. Same exact scenario. What more do I want? I want you to actually talk to them. I want you to recruit them. I want you to sell hard so that when it comes time to decision day, BYU is not just an afterthought and a name on their offer list. It's on the forefront of their mind, and maybe it will surprise them. And here's the other thing that irritates the hell out of me that I see on signing day that's kind of in this realm of this same fallacy. Well, how can BYU be expected to beat the big dogs, right? Like you can only get who you can get. They're getting the best that they can. Uh, no, no, that's not true, first of all. But the offense is beating the big name schools. Right. Cody you can't Hayden tell me that the, we're getting the best that we can when there's such a discrepancy between it's who huge. the offense is pulling and the defense is pulling. It's and, huge. And it's been for multiple classes. Yeah. Like, and it's a trend. And if you can't even say that, well, how can we hang or we're doing the best that we're doing without seeing what they were doing, right? Like it's one of those things where it's inputs and outputs. Right? If you could show me, like show me the phone records and I'll tell you if you're doing everything you do. Show me the number of Twitter DMs that coaches have been sending. Half the defensive staff doesn't even have, don't even have Twitter accounts. Yeah. Where do you think 14, year old, 14 to 18 year old kids hang out? Right. It ain't on Facebook boomers, right? Like the, <laughs> And so getting all of that, it's like the sheer volume and the amount of effort and just the, pure, you know, going to contact and how many like, okay, you know, we're digging, we're getting these diamonds in the roughs. We're getting the first five kids who walk through the door at camp. It's not like it's, There's we're so... turning every under corner and it's, we're finding someone late in their senior year and whatever it's, we're saying, Hey, you played basketball, come to a football camp. We'll offer you day two. That's not turning up every stone and digging deep for diamonds in the rough. Yeah. I mean, you're dead on and that happens and they check their box, they fill their, their spot and, and you move on. Like that's happening. And maybe we're wrong, right? Like maybe these kids are all going to pan out, be great. And three years from now, you and I are going to be looking at each other on episode 600 of this podcast saying, Hey, Garrett, turns out we were dead wrong. I hope I am because the I last so. time I have been dead wrong about somebody yeah, he's playing for the Carolina Panthers. It was Brady Christensen. Like, uh -huh. that was where I was like, there is no way in hell this kid is ever going to amount to anything. That uh, was the last time I I remember thinking that about a player. <laughs> That's the last so time clear. that drastically, for sure, for me too. Uh, another one, we missed out on this guy, so somebody must have screwed up. There's a, like I, I use the example of, of Glacier Park and Yellowstone. Both of those are really cool places to go visit. But at the end of the day, if you've only got one week and you got to pick one, you're picking one, right? So if you pick Yellowstone, does that mean that you hate Glacier Park or that Glacier did something wrong? No, it means that you picked Yellowstone. So this idea that, okay, BYU recruit is choosing between BYU and UCLA. Well, they went to UCLA. What the hell happened? You know, what, what did BYU do wrong to lose that kid to UCLA? Sometimes the BYU coaching staff does everything right. Kid just right. goes to UCLA. Jackson Dart just goes to Ole Miss. Like, it wasn't – there wasn't anything that BYU could have done differently. Still annoyed about the pictures. I know you told me not to be annoyed, but I'm annoyed yeah, about the pictures. Guys, if you care about the pictures, stop caring. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just lose, and that's okay. comes with the territory. But sometimes you only lose you those lose. if you offer if, kids if you who try. have other offers. When if 11 of the 14 have no other offers, then you can't <laughs> lose. Right? Uh, and like then I, I, this is something that you brought up uh, a little bit, and that's 
the number of players who officially visit that commit, you know, it's one of those things. It's like right now we're hovering at like 95% and that should be closer to 70. Cause that means you're trying, you're reaching, you're convincing guys who are like, uh, I don't know to set foot on campus and really test out if it's for them. Right. And that, that number is too high. It's kind of, I think in sales organizations, right? Like it's not a good thing. If you're like, Oh, we've hit our sales quota for the last 15 quarters in a row. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe set a higher bar for yourself. Like yeah. I don't, you should miss a goal every once in a while. Like if you're yeah. not losing, you're, occasionally you're not if you're not failing then you're not pushing hard enough exactly um and then a last bonus fallacy that i wrote about uh that just because a player signed with your given school does not mean that there was universal agreement within the coaches within that coaching staff that that player was good or that that player should have been signed uh that's a misconception right like i, I can go back to uh 2015 2016 that coaching staff at that time i know because of firsthand knowledge that there were players that the defense brought in that the offense didn't like that the offense is like man i don't know what they see in that guy like it happens all the time right or there may be one coach who decides to offer a player that it belongs to a different position group and then that position coach says no i don't want him i don't think he's that good but then you, the first coach already accepted a commitment, and so now said player is playing in the first coach's position group on the other side of the ball. Yeah, not that that's happens. happened. Wink, wink. I mean, recruiting is so wild, and until I think we peel back the layers of recruiting and we understand it for what it is, uh, BYU fans are always going to be a little bit ignorant to how to improve. And I will be the first person to admit that, wow, the more I learn about recruiting, the more it's like this crazy shady game. And it is, I remember, but like, I've tried, I have two different thoughts in my head at the same time, BYU fans, I think without, you know, trying to drag anybody under the mud because of the way BYU's recruiting was covered by those in the media for a decade, BYU fans who follow recruiting had an idea of what recruiting was, right? Like they had an idea of how it worked. And I could tell you, there aren't very many people who have really covered recruiting. There's not. HBR net talked about the guys who were committed and or signed, right? Like that's what the Des news and the tribune talk about is the guys who were committed and or signed occasionally, over history, you, you hear the stories of Haloti Nada or Star Lotulale, like the big names that flopped out for whatever reason or didn't pan out with BYU for whatever reason. Outside of those guys talking about the players who were committed and or signed or like the mega big names, uh, there really hasn't been much recruiting coverage. And the recruiting coverage up until, I'm going to say up until me, but I think up until Mitch Harper, up until myself up until today right this era of of recruiting coverage i don't think that the most byu fans realized how many guys had offers or how many guys were being seriously recruited or how the whole process worked so i think that byu fans because of the lack of coverage we're behind the curve on just our, our our general knowledge of how it works i've had to learn a lot i remember five six years ago like arguments between Utah fans and BYU fans at the term non-committable offer. Like 
that that in and of itself is 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 like this crazy oxymoron that it is a stupid thing how could a non-committable offer be real right like utah fans they would or utah would lose a recruit to byu and then utah would say that was a non-committable offer and byu fans would say that's not a real thing okay well i don't know about the individual anecdotal experiences of whether that commit offer was committable or not when we would have those arguments all those years ago but a non-committable offer is 100 percent a real thing right happens all the time but up until i think the last few years i don't think byu fans really understood that because I and mean, we've talked about this a bunch byu fans are byu fans they're not necessarily college football fans like they're right. not they because they're not they're not doing stuff like you're wearing a tar a north carolina tar heel shirt right now <laughs> right from home field like they're not going out and buying you know following proactively other teams and seeing how other schools do things it's just like they, and that's okay. And, and that's fine, right? It, but we just, we need to recognize our blind spots, right? right? So that's really my biggest goal. Like of the, in the last year, more than covering the individual players, I want to cover the process. I want people to understand the, the recruiting process. And just because BYU offered Nate Ritchie does not mean that BYU recruited Nate Ritchie well. BYU really sucked in how they recruited Nate Ritchie. Bad. Maybe they could have done everything right, and Nate Ritchie still signs with BYU or with Utah. Maybe. I don't know. But I could say they absolutely shit the bed with the way that they recruited Nate Ritchie. And then yeah. when they could have got Nate Ritchie light in Scotty Edwards, they continued to shit all over themselves with the way they recruited Scotty Edwards. Would he have still gone to Stanford, even if BYU did Maybe. well? Maybe, but BYU is eliminating themselves from these conversations before that decision can even happen. Yeah, it's not even like we struck out looking. It's like we didn't even bother to get out of the on-deck circle. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And I look at the, the, the offense, right? Cody Hagen's a legacy Utah guy. And if so it was Ice Moa. And so was well, I, I, said, I mean, he's on defense, but that one kind of fell into our lap. Well, and it was Kalani. Like right. that was Kalani. But it, like, let, let's take Cody Hagan. On the surface, Cody Hagan was a Utah guy. Everybody figured he'd go to Utah. Then the big names started to come. And everybody kind of thought, well, Stanford makes a lot of sense. And up into and including his parents, right? Like I, I had a couple of conversations. I went to a Corner Canyon game early in the year, met up with Sean Hagen there and talked to him for a minute. And in Stanford, there was a lot of Stanford buzz. A decision clearly hadn't been made, but I think if you would have got him to sit down and say at that time what he thought would happen, I think Stanford's probably what he thought would happen. But Fessy Satake, Aaron Roderick, they recruited and they said, look, we're going we're gonna to act as if we're in the pole position until he tells us that we're not. And that's what they did. And lo and behold, they got Cody Hagan. That's huge. That's a huge win. Kingsley Suamataia. Like that kind of fell in BYU's lap a little bit, but I've shared the story on the podcast. As soon as he hit the transfer portal, he had so many people calling him that he had to turn off his phone so that he could sleep. And when he woke up that morning, he had 150 some odd notifications and missed calls on his phone because there were that many schools that were recruiting him at the minute he hit the transfer portal. 
but Daryl Funk, Jason Ayu, Kalani Satake, they were relentless and they got him. Now there were a lot of other factors at play, but they still had to go out and get him, right? Otherwise, those 150 coaches who were reaching out to him would have had a chance. It can be done. BYU can get the big dogs, right? Like they can get the big five-star recruits. Kingsley is a five-star guy. Cody Hagan is a four-star guy. They can get them, and they can beat the biggest names in college football for those players' services. I got a call from uh, a Big 12 school that was just a friend of mine that I've met that was looking for information on Kingsley after he had committed to BYU because they were still going down swinging. Even though he had committed, made his I'm coming home video, he hadn't signed, and this particular Big 12 school was reaching out to me because they know I cover BYU. They read my article that I interviewed Kingsley, and they said, all right, Jeff, give me the skinny. Is he really committed? Yeah, guys, I think he's really committed. All right, well, I hear you, but I think we're going to give it a shot anyways. Like, other schools go down. Like, they, they until they are told no, they continue to assume that they are going to be told yes. But BYU's, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they don't even wait for that no to come. They just assume it's going to be no. They cower down and they stop trying. And it's a problem. Yeah. And that is my soapbox. You got your, your soapbox. I know we said no. We said we don't know how much sports we're going to have. But we, we're going for solid like 50 minutes here. This is we did well. We did well. Um, I did want to bring up a couple things. Uh, one. You bought a Jeep last week, and it I is did. beautiful. It's really good. It's the Ford. I was I, I went on a, a campaign trying to get Ford to buy, give me a Bronco because really after they go through like the aftermarket and they have the, the, the dealerships markup, I couldn't afford it anymore. Uh, we're pre-rich. We're not rich. And I, I needed to get off-road. I'm having a pre-midlife crisis. So yeah, I settled for the discount Bronco and that's a Jeep. And when I got to the dealership, uh, this Jeep was much more like Rubicon and loaded than I expected it to be based on pictures. It spoke to your soul. It did. And I kind of had to get it. Uh, the dealer was a big BYU fan. In fact, he used to live with Cody Hoffman. So it was kind of cool to talk. You know, nice. I felt like I was, if it would have been a Utah fan, maybe I would have walked, but it was a BYU guy uh, and it felt good. And now I have it and I love it. And it's awesome in every yeah, way, every way. So I did see a classified that was posted here. There is a dealership in Yuma that got a trade in. Ooh. And now they have this for sale of a Bronco. Okay. So do you know what years the OG Ford Bronco ran or what year it like ford introduced it well there were the couple i don't know what year like the 60s i think yes so it was like 66 okay. this is a 1967 ford bronco with 449 Ooh. original miles wow the, the dealer has it listed at $165,000. is isn't that bananas yeah, oh, that's crazy. But how awesome is that? That it's a '67 Bronco with less than 500 original miles. There's a there's an account on Instagram that I follow. That all they do is they find those old Broncos and then they just restore them, and that's their whole business is they sell the restored Broncos. Amazing. So you basically you're 
you, you kind of pre-order it, right? Like they show you the scrap heap and then you go in and select the few options that you want, then they restore it. Oh, they're, they're unbelievable. That would be, that's, that's the real dream right there, but I'm definitely not that rich. Definitely not. Um, I do uh, have a story with the Jeep. I got stuck in week one, which is oh, part yeah, of Jeep. Oh, yeah, you wrote about this. I did write about this. Yes, yeah, so go, I got stuck. Yeah. You got uh, stuck, and you, it was a good little comparison that you had. So head over if you are not a subscriber to the newsletter. Skip over on over to GiveMeHelpBrigham.com. Sign up so you get future newsletters. There you and go. then you can scroll down a little bit, and the second one down there should be Jeff's story about the Jeep that was posted on Monday. Yeah, got stuck. Sucked. But I got out. It's part of Jeeping. You got to get stuck to learn how to get unstuck. And you got to go down swinging. Um, so lastly, we do have one question. Uh, I was going to talk about hockey for a minute because this is just ridiculous. I've talked about it. I don't know why the NHL is like so hellbent on trying to make hockey work in Phoenix. <laughs> so the Arizona Coyotes have like, they've been horrible. They tried at one point, they had Wayne Gretzky as their coach, still horrible. They play or they played at an arena across the street from State Farm Stadium where the Cardinals play. Nice place, whatever. Decent size arena. They are moving. So ASU is building a new arena because ASU has a division one, like NCAA hockey team now. Didn't know that until today. <laughs> ASU is building a 5,000 seat arena that they will share with the Arizona Coyotes of the NHL. It is a, an NHL team is going to be playing in a 5,000 seat arena. It's like, why? Surely you could find, you would sell more tickets at a town in Canada that had 6,000 people. Well, yeah. I mean, how is a 5,000 seat arena paying the bills? Uh, it's like at that point, what you just need TV money. Okay. Then just drop them and have a traveling team entirely. Like, what oh, is the and, point then? And what's the TV money for an NHL deal? Like I where I, I don't know where to even watch them. Are they still on NBC sports? NBC sports doesn't exist anymore. So that would be no, <laughs> but well. the, uh, they are on ESPN plus. So if you have ESPN plus, you actually get access to watching every single NHL game that's outside your market. So if you need some mm. winter sports coverage, ESPN plus good deal for four 99 a month. I do like hockey. I just, I can't get into like the chase. I assume that the way I feel about hockey is how non-baseball fans feel like feel about baseball. You pay attention come Stanley cup time, but yep. In, in the rank and file February game you're not flipping on absolutely okay so we do have a it's like kind of a hypothetical we talked about this kind of you know what are we going to do to fill these things and maybe we'll revisit these same questions and hopefully maybe our answers will change as we think about it more so what is uh what do we call it would you say what if you're wrong what if we're wrong and i think we kind of framed the question maybe a little bit uh this is more like a buy or sell like i framed the question weird but really what the idea is uh, there are passionate takes that people have, right, uh, about BYU, about BYU athletes, about BYU teams. And I think we should challenge them. It's a little bit of like Steven Crowder, not that we're getting into the political, but like the, what does he do? Like prove me wrong or whatever. It's not like that, that like I'm going to just argue with you, but it's like, let's take, let's challenge the assumptions that we have and wonder, well, what if we're wrong? Let's just pretend we're wrong why would we be wrong? So here's the our flip first side of this or, or another way of looking at it. And have you ever heard of clear pilling, you know, like you've heard of like yeah, the, blue yeah, yeah. Pill or the red yep. pill, same thing. So people said the clear pill, like instead of the blue pill, the red pill, like from the matrix and people are like, Oh, I figured it out. They caught on, took the red pill. People say the clear pill where it's just, if you, there's something you think is wrong, just assume that it's true. 
what does the world look like if that is true? And is that world plausible? Like, you know, whatever. So that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing. So let's go back. Let's get in our hot tub time machine. Go back to 2004. 2004? 2004. Gary Croton has been fired. Okay. BYU has missed a bowl for three consecutive seasons. And now there is a bunch of off-the-field turmoil that is surrounding the BYU football program. And because of that, the idea that I hear from many, 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 many fans is that it wasn't actually the on-field performance that got Groton fired. It was his lack of control of the program. And that, what was it? It was like the gang rape thing that all the charges ended up being dropped, but there were the four or five players that that were re-encharged with the same thing. That is what I hear most people say is the reason that Gary Croton was fired. That's why BYU was in a dark place, blah, blah, blah. What if, Garrett, that is wrong? Because here's what I, I, I think I actually believe this. If BYU would have gone bowling in 2004, Gary Croton is still the coach in 2005. All of that off the field stuff still happening. You blame it on the players themselves. You say they're adults. That's not okay. We're going to make sure it's different going forward. Like this is not acceptable. Yep. And here's why I think that's true. Those players, I think I'd have to go back and double check. I think they were all defensive players. Not all of them. Not all of uh, them? No, there were a couple offensive. But there were defensive players in the mix. A majority defensive players? I think so, yeah. I think so, the majority. Who was the defensive coordinator? One, Bronco Mendenhall. So if it was really about the lack of control, don't you think that the coach who did the primary recruiting of those players would be the one who was actually held responsible? Most likely. You would think, right? Or is there another scenario where all of our assumptions have been wrong for the last nearly 20 years and BYU just needed a way to get out of what they deemed to be a bad head coach? I think that's probably true. And I will see your, if they make a bullion, which if you look back at the two, they were close. They could have been really good. They were five and six. They had, okay. So start off with the win over Notre Dame. That never hurts. Lose to Stanford, lose to number one USC, lose by one to Boise, who finished the rec, who Boise finished the record. They're eleven and one. That wasn't wasn't that the missed field goal? That was the missed field goal. That was that field goal goes in. BYU is going bowling. Yep, and USC and so Boise. I mean, they finished the season. They made it up to number ten, went undefeated, and then lost to Louisville in their bowl game. Finished twelve in the final AP poll. Okay. Beat Colorado State, somehow lose by four to UNLV. Yeah, that was a a bad game. Then they seem to be turning it around, beat Wyoming, beat Air Force, stomp San Diego State. And then they lose by a touchdown at home against New Mexico. And then they get stomped by Utah, who finished number, who was number five, and then ended up going and winning the festival that year, going undefeated. There was three games that they should have won. Any one of them, they go to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. If you look at the season before, obviously that was a little tougher. They went four and eight, but that 2003 team that played, that was the toughest schedule that BYU has really ever played. Mm-hmm. All right. It was okay. You get stomped by a Boise team. 
that went undefeated and or finished 13 and one. And um, I guess they did lose to Oregon state, but they did run the table and finish in the top 25. You lose to USC who ends up winning national championship. You lose to Notre Dame. Who's not bad. There's the three zero loss to Utah. Yuck, but lost 13 <laughs> to 10 to Wyoming. More Matt Payne missed field goals, by the way. Lost 18 to 14 to Stanford. I believe that was the better to, was that the better to win by nine instead of by, or win by whatever game? Yep. Yep. So also you could have found two games there that you could have won and that you were replacing, you know, a bunch of people. You had a young quarterback. There's, you know, things were really iffy across the board. Like who even led the team in passing? I mean, you had Matt Berry and freshman John Beck playing quarterback. It was, very much rebuilding year against a very tough schedule. I really think that Gary Croton with junior and senior John Brett Beck and even Bronco playing on defense. I think that staff would have been equally, if not more, I mean, it's hard to top what that's what Bronco did from 06 to 2010. Yeah. Right. And so, or 06, 07, 08, that four-year stretch. I think that four-year stretch is the same if Gary Cronin's in charge and, and Bronco Mendenhall's the defensive coordinator. I think it's right close. I really do. And I think that uh, – I, I, I think if you go back and you look at how close those games were, I think that's why. And really what I think happened is that loss to New Mexico in 2004 – I was there. That was actually the first BYU game I ever attended in person was that loss to New Mexico. I'm sorry that you had to see that. Uh, 53,000 was the announced attendance. And at the time, that was before even some of the renovations that had happened. I mean, attendance was up north of 65,000 at the time. Yep. And this was before all the big TV deals, before, you know, staying home was a thing. I think that's why Gary Croton was fired. The week before that, when they beat San Diego State, pummeled san diego state they were still on the brink of bowl eligibility just over fifty-three thousand. actually less people showed up to the san diego state game than there were for the new mexico state or the new mexico game i think that's why the fans had lost faith in gary croton attendance was going down and byu's officials had an opportunity i don't know if that's tom homo wanted to make this happen or if it was church leadership that wanted it, or i guess byu leadership that wanted to make this happen but if byu would have beaten any one of those games. If Matt Payne's field goal goes in against Boise, they are six and five and they are back to a bowl. Gary Croton is still the head coach in 2005. I believe that. And I, what if, you know, I, we all assume that it's because of these off the field things, but I really don't think so. I really don't. And what if you're wrong? What if you've assumed all these years? that it was because of the off the field and the lack of control and the blah, 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 blah. What if you're wrong? Like, what does that look like? Well, I think it looks like look, Gary Croton. For the rest of that decade, it looks about the same. Yeah. Just with a different head name, head guy in charge. Yep. Looks really, really similar. Now, what looks very different after that, though, is say Gary Croton is the coach through 2010. What does the first half of the independence era look like? Ooh. With Gary Croton, well, is that's the coach. T- that's and tough to at know. what point does Bronco Mendenhall leave to take another job? That's tough to know. Yeah, that's tough to know. And you know what? And does Bronco get a head coaching job? I like, yeah. If Croton's not fired, because when was the last time the defensive coordinator at BYU became a head coach somewhere? Yeah, like that doesn't happen. 
Well, he became a head coach, and I mean, Bronco Mendenhall is kind of a weird dude. Like, I, it's kind of, I could see, you know, BYU just being the place where it's like, that's where he got his shot, and, you know, that's where yeah, he was going to go. I mean, unless he went back to Oregon State. But I mean, maybe, then, maybe Oregon Rocky. State, even after he proved himself, Oregon State still said, no, we want Gary Anderson instead. Does, right. does he does he get the maybe that's where hap, what happens to Bronco when Rocky Long finally leaves to go to San Diego State? Does New Mexico call Bronco and say, "Hey, come back"? So maybe let, that's let the head coaching Rocky opening. Long here. Um, to, to do New Mexico, San Diego State. Yeah, so I mean, probably. So what? Gary Croton doesn't get fired in two thousand four. Bronco sticks. He's there. Oh four. Oh five. Oh six. Oh seven. Oh eight. So five, six, seven, eight. So that's four years later. Two thousand nine is when Rocky so Long when- left to go be the. He retired from New Mexico to go be the defensive coordinator. I think Bronco Mendenhall would probably be their first guy that they call up and hire instead of who the hell did they hire after that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but I mean it was um, the, the end of New Mexico football. Mike Loxley, who is now the coach at Maryland, I believe. Yeah, he, oh, that's kind of a he, falling up for him. Yeah, he went from being New Mexico, the head coach in New Mexico to the offensive coordinator at Maryland and then went through the Nick Saban school for coaches who want to learn how to coach football and do other things good too, and then went back to Maryland as the head coach. <laughs> Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's getting late. Like we're knocking on the door at midnight now. Uh, and it's like a Thursday. We got to wake up and still do work tomorrow. But I think this is something that we're going to do more of. Like as we go into the off season and it gets harder and harder to talk, you know, specific sports stuff. We're always going to, we got to resurrect the mailbag. We got to bring back the mailbag. We got to bring back quarantine kitchen. I haven't cooked on my grills in a long, since I moved. In fact, because it's just been so damn cold outside that I don't want to go outside yet. Did you need to get like a build a little covered grill shelter with like a, you know, a, a propane heater that you can turn yeah. on from inside? It's just hard. It's a new house. Like my grass, I, I have grass, but I can't walk on it yet. Like we just laid sod before the snow. Mm. So it's like, I can't really use my yard as a yard yet. Oh yeah. So it's just hard to be outside right now. I got to figure out. Yeah. I just, I'm working with the, we're working for a lands with a landscaper to design our yard, get, just get a plan. So I know what to do. Cause otherwise I'll screw it up and buy the wrong plants and kill everything. Uh, I mean, do, I, what do you do down there? Do you, you don't get grass, right? So people get grass, you get Bermuda, but normally you have to like take, it's paying this out. A lot of people get turf, but if you get Bermuda, usually it'll go Brown in the winter when it gets cooler. So some people, a lot of people will overseed. I'm going to be installing a new grass that was created at UC Davis in 2017 mm. called Carapia. Mm. And Carapia. Carapia, it's you don't have to mow it if you don't want to. You because it'll get little flowers kind of like clovers if you let it grow fully long, but it the height maxes out at three inches. But you can mow it if you want to to get rid of the flowers. And if you mow it, so you only have to mow it once a month, it'll stay green year round, and you only have to water it once a week, even in the desert. So it was like a, this new grass that was, it was a GMO that was created for desert lawns and it looks just like a lawn, but it's kind of like some kind of clover that they specialty made, huh? but you don't, you only have to, you can put fertilizer down like twice a year if you need to. So basically costs as much to maintain. It takes as much effort to maintain as turf, but it's actual grass. Interesting. So it's way less. 
Interesting. Well, okay. so I do not know anybody that has had one ever use this because it is so new. Like it got developed in like 2017 and you couldn't even buy it till like 2019. It's yeah. like very new, but I called a bunch of nurseries. I called down. There's that the agricultural department at UC or U of A, they have a thing. All they actually have a whole thing about turf in Arizona and like what kind of grass and stuff. And they're like, I looked oh, yeah. at turf. I wanted to do turf. In it's fact, expensive. It's way expensive, like way expensive. Yeah. I tried to leverage give them hell Brigham. I don't think I told you that I was doing this because, you know, whatever. But I tried to leverage give them hell Brigham as like an advertising opportunity for an up and coming turf company that, hey, give me a discount on turf. Here's our numbers. They said no. Mm. We tried. Yeah, we We tried. I, I had dirt and I had to try to trick my dog. So I went and got like a one yard wide strip of turf that was like 10 feet long to lay in the dirt and try to trick my dog to poop on that. And even that was like, I don't know, like 40 bucks and it covered, you know, nothing of my yard. It's like good turf can be like four or five bucks a square foot. That was it's expensive nuts. as hell. It was nuts. So, yeah. I so, think but- it's been a good show for not knowing what we were doing. We did. I will give a shout out to our landscape designer um, ah. just because, you know, she, we're, we're paying her her full price even, but is a uh, Danelle, uh, what is her last name now? Stetler. She mm. is a former BYU volleyball player. Um, so my wife was an acquaintance with her when she was in school. Her husband was on the BYU track team and he lived upstairs for me one year. So we were in the same ward. So I, I also met her, but she, um, her, it's plant dash a pat dash patch.com and you basically just send her a plot of your yard send her what you're interested whatever and she will send you a design and say here's the plants you need to put here's where your sprinklers need to go like give you everything to either go out and do it yourself or go just take the blueprints to somebody in yard lawn service and say hey i need you to put this in for me well there you go very affordable like our yard is like a fifth of an acre and it was like 500 bucks so, yeah. which is not a lot of money, it's not nothing, but it's for designing an entire yard, including the irrigation map. That's pretty cheap, I think. We just used our landscaper. We found it well, our we found a guy who would do all the landscaping. So he did all the leveling, brought in all the topsoil, did all that stuff, laid the sod, did the sprinklers, did it all, did the curbing, did all nice. of the we did like rocks on the park strip because you know we're doing our part to not water park strips. All that stuff, and he charged us significantly more than five thousand or five hundred dollars or five thousand dollars. Yeah, and the problem that I found with landscapers in Arizona is that for most landscaping companies, it means building an outdoor kitchen, putting in a pool, putting in turf, and then having like <laughs> three bushes against a back wall to be like, "See, look, we put some plants in, and we it. wanted a little more green. Like, we want an actual desert, you know, landscape. Like, obviously, we're gonna have the lawn area. We're gonna, I'm gonna pour out of concrete to have like my outdoor kitchen, you know, grill set up." but it's like i want some actual plants i don't want to just be like oh here's some rocks yeah you know i get that it is what it is but it has been a good episode jeff uh we will we will keep back with what if you're wrong we're gonna bring back the mailbag and we may have i don't know maybe we'll have some exciting news next week we got some other things in the works i don't know what they are but they will be in the works (laughs) i mean now you got my attention what exciting news are we gonna have i don't know but maybe we'll find something Okay. With that, Jeff, give him hell. Give him hell.